As most of you know, unless you're a, a new guest, uh, live stream or here today, uh, we are in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, seeing Jesus together in the Gospel of Luke is the subtitle of this series in Luke's Gospel. And we are, have finally reached chapter 6, and we will pick up Jesus has come into his hometown of Nazareth and has been unceremoniously, uh, unceremonially unwelcomed, uh, and he ended up setting up shop in the Gal region of Galilee, in Cana of Galilee, in that area in Capernaum, the, uh, where probably uh, living somewhat in Peter's uh, house. And he has been doing miracles, been giving authoritative teaching that has brought crowds from all directions. And today, we pick up another part of the ministry of the Lord Jesus in the Galilee region. Today's message is entitled, The Sabbath's Lord. Our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 16. I invite you to follow along from your Bibles, your few Bibles, your devices, whatever way, but whatever way you are following along and listening and receiving God's word, remember it is the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful attention. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand 
was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. In these days, he went out from the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew's brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word will always remain. Let's pray. Once again, Heavenly Father, we come asking for what we do not have, and that is wisdom and spiritual insight that comes from your word and from the Holy Spirit. Father, we have your word before us, but without the Spirit's work helping us understand and applying your word in meekness and receiving it in meekness and gentleness. Father, we will not profit from the word. And so, Lord, be with us and grant us your help and your illumination. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So far, Jesus has begun to arouse the suspicion of his adversaries, of other spiritual-minded people that you would think would be his ally and be appreciative. But rather, he has caused suspicion in the eyes of many of the religious leaders in Galilee and beyond. Today, Luke records two instances or incidents where the action of Jesus and his disciples bring him into further conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, I'm, the, the word there is scribes and Pharisees. We've, we've already run into this, but I'm just going to shorten what I'm going to say in this section, just referring to the Pharisees. But of course, that would include often the scribes as well. They were all in the same basket and uh, in, in so many ways. They had differences, but basically they all were very concerned. Scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, they all were concerned about Jesus. And they were very, very troubled and they were more and more becoming agitated and set out to try and put him aside. Now, while we're here, I want to focus on that group. And like I say, we'll just call them for short, the Pharisees. They were 
the self-appointed experts of all things pertaining to the Torah. Now, you know what the Torah is. Most of you do. But just in case, the Torah were the first five books of our Old Testament. The first five books of the law, they are sometimes called. Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, to be precise. Now, as time went on, these Pharisees and the, uh, the uh, scribes, they probably started out with a good intention, thinking they're going to make sure that we don't get back into idolatry and we're going to start revering the Word of God and taking it seriously and listening to God and not rebelling against Him. Probably started something like that. But as time went on and on, the Pharisees decided they would get really careful and make sure that they wouldn't transgress against God's holy law. And so they developed additional regulations around the law. So they didn't just listen to God's law. They were, at this point in time, beginning to find ways to try to make sure they could hedge around God's law. I think I've got something that might be uh, a little bit helpful for us um, on the screen. See, here's God's law. Law, good. God's law, perfect. Uh, restores the soul. God's law is a good thing. It was given by God. That wasn't the problem. Next. So they decided, you know what? If we put a hedge a fence around God's law and put some other laws in here, then they can't get into this. And so they started adding some of man's laws on top of God's laws. But then as it went on from there, they started putting other hedges around. Next. And then finally another one. To the point where it finally got to where God's law, the real law of God, was being crowded out. All that was talked about were all the ways by which they were trying to protect God's law. And so they were just building more and more fences. I think we have one last slide. Yeah. You see, it was called the oral law. The, these add-ons, these tack-ons to the original law of God because it was originally given orally and passed down, handed down from rabbi to rabbi, teacher to teacher. But in time, eventually, they would begin to write those things down. But it was often called the oral law or oral tradition. And for most of the scribes and the Pharisees, they were more concerned about the keeping of the oral law and of their man-made laws, all 
trying to protect God's law, but they were more concerned and obsessed with that than they were the true word of the Lord. Now, it's important for you to know and for all of anyone to know that not one, no one ever accused Jesus of breaking Torah, the actual law of God that's in the Old Testament, in our Bibles. Jesus never was. They never caught Jesus in something that was violating the Scriptures the true law of God. It was the other things that Jesus was messing with, and it was driving them absolutely crazy. Now, in today's text, thanks, in today's text, we'll discover Jesus' concept of Sabbath. Get two instances to, to see that, how Jesus saw the Sabbath and how indeed he is Lord of it. Uh, and then you'll be introduced briefly to the 12 disciples in uh, today's uh, passage. So um, our outline, here it is. Our outline for the Sabbath's Lord goes like this. The criticism, the censure, and the choice. The criticism, the censure, and the choice. Let's look at them uh, as usual, one by one. Now, the criticism is basically, the first criticism of Jesus is in verses 1 through 5. And again, I've already read this. I'm just going to make comments as we've gone along, as we've read the scripture. Now, try to apply and, and, and comment on it. One day, it doesn't specify the day. It doesn't tell us it was a specific day. But one day, on an unspecified Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field. Now, they got hungry, and so they took some of the wheat or barley, we're not sure which grain it was, but they stopped in that grain field that belonged to someone else, and they took some of the wheat or barley because they were hungry, and they ate it, and they had lunch, and they were satisfied. Everything's copacetic. It's all good. Only problem was, there was this bunch of uh, long-robed, tassel-wearing um, folks, at least some of them were, uh, that were seeing this, and their jaws were dropping, and they thought, aha, there's that new upstart rabbi breaking the law. Lawless, lawbreaker. So, they, um, yet the truth is, that's what they thought. But the truth is, the guys, Jesus and the guys, weren't breaking the law of God. Matter of fact, taking grain for the hungry to eat and that's what they were. At that point, they didn't have, we know the disciples generally, apart from gifts from others, they were not rich by any means. They were, but classification would be in the poor. And taking grain for the hungry to eat was not stealing. 
Now, you weren't supposed to carry it up, load up the, the wagon and the, and the mules and, and take, carry it somewhere else. Now, that, that was not right. But the, but the fields were to be left for those that were hungry and poor. That was to be an, op, a, 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 an opportunity for that. Deuteronomy 23, 24 says, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard and you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish. But you shall not put any in your bag. You don't, you know, take it out and go sell it somewhere. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hands, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, you're not going to, while you're getting your lunch, when you finish your lunch, you start uh, cleaning up all his proceeds and carry them off and somewhere and try to sell them. Or put them in, you know, in, in your house so you don't know. But that's, that, nothing was being violated here. But in the minds of the Pharisees, Jesus and his disciples were laboring on the Sabbath. They were doing work which is forbidden by God. So they said. You see, according to their stretched, and I mean really stretched, like, how did they get here, from there to here to there? According to their stretched definitions of reaping, threshing, and winnowing, what the disciples were doing with pulling the husk off of the corn or whatever it was, well, it wouldn't have been corn, it would have been wheat, whatever they were doing, that was winnowing, or that was... That was uh, what were the three things I said? Uh, reaping, or that was threshing somehow. Now you can't grind it. You can't. You can't. You gotta. You gotta do it, but you can't. You can't do that because that would be work. Like ticky tacky stuff. You see, there was no scriptural law being broken by what Jesus and his disciples did, but it had become in the Pharisees and the and the uh, scribes. It had become to them, they had all of these rules by which you could keep from breaking the Sabbath. And they had created an amalgamation of things. Again, one thing that was the truth and then started adding and stacking things that they could no longer distinguish. What was Scripture and what was God's law and what was not. And Jesus ended their criticism with a Double-edged response in verses 3 through 5. And, and the essence of it was this. Number one, you guys have totally blown it. You've missed the heart and, and intent of God's law. You're not even remotely close of what Sabbath is supposed to be all about. You've become a gatekeeper. A jailer. Secondly, Jesus said the Sabbath essentially is mine to control. And I'll be taking things from here. That's essentially what he said to them. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And that means I'll be calling the shots about what is Torah and what is not. Now, Jesus was telling them 
He is the author of the whole idea of Sabbath and the person who's in charge and who is going to keep it. You see, God set apart the Sabbath. That was, of course, Saturday, the last day of the week, not the first. We celebrate in any observance of a Christian Sabbath on Sunday. But, of course, in that time, the Sabbath was on Saturday. And God set apart the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, as a reminder, what? Of his creation completion, the day he created and completed his creation. And as a day of rest. Why? Because God needed the rest? No, of course not. We do. He was giving us a template, a sample, to say, you're not me. I've done this. I've created this. You have work to do, but you can't go on and on and on. I'm showing you my love and telling you, take one and seven. Because you're going to need it. It was part of God's care. Rest for his people. Rest that would turn into when it was observed joy. That was the point of Sabbath. Not of grinding down to details and deciding what you can. And you can. Totally in another ballpark. Listen to what R.J. Foster says here. Before we dismiss the Old Testament Sabbath rule out of hand, it is important to see that there is a lot more behind it than the desire for a periodic breather. For instance, it has a way of tempering our gnawing need always to get ahead. Can you identify with that? If we ever want to know the degree to which we are enslaved by the passion to possess. All we have to do is observe the difficulty we have maintaining a Sabbath rhythm. God built us. We're hardwired for that Sabbath rest. And it's for our good, for our blessing, for our joy. But, like so often, we get smarter than God, or think we do, don't we? You see, the Pharisees treated the Sabbath like a burden instead of a blessing to the people. Mark 2, 27 says this, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's telling them, guys, you've got it all wrong. You totally have it backwards. This is for your good, for your blessing, for your joy in my presence. Secondly, the censure. Here's the second time. Now, that's one Sabbath encounter. We're not sure how long it was between this one and that one. But the scene now changes, but the story continues. No difference. The Pharisees are back in the ring for another swing. 
at Jesus. Jesus' critics are aching to make an accusation against him. He's already frustrated them and shut them down once. Surely, they're going to get all their spies around and from every angle, and they're going to watch him like a hawk and make sure, because surely in his teaching, he's going to, he's going to do something, or at least we hope he will. And they'll think, well, man, what, what if he, in front of all these people, what if he, not out in the wilderness somewhere, right here, and wherever all these people are gathered, what if he does something like heal somebody on the Sabbath? That's a terrible thing. That's what they were hoping for. According to the Pharisees' rules, a physician was not allowed to give aid to the sick or practice medicine on the Sabbath, except for a few extenuating circumstances, very few. Uh, for instance, they were a midwife helping with the delivery of a baby, one of the, one of the few, and the other one was pretty radical you had to be at death's door before you could call the physician. I mean, the, the guy or the girl had to be, well, just about to kick over here. I guess we better get a, get a physician. Anything less than that, they weren't about to die without some kind of, inter then, well, this wasn't your day. You see, as Jesus was teaching, his eyes spotted that man you heard in the text with the withered hand. By the way, a lot of people of that day considered that hand, and it was his right hand, by the way, they considered that a sign of judgment. That withered hand was a sign of judgment from God. This man must be a real big sinner. Jesus knew how eager his critics were to accuse him. So he openly challenged them. He said, I'm your huckleberry. Here we go. Let's talk about this. You asked him, answer me this question. Which is obeying the Sabbath law? Doing good or doing evil? Saving life or destroying it? And that was brilliant. <laughs> Strategic move by Jesus because what did he do? He left them with no middle ground. Basically, when he says, which is the best, doing good or doing evil? They had no middle ground. No place to run. If they said, obviously, uh, doing evil, well, that, they know the outcome of that. And if they do good, they can't get Jesus. Same thing with saving life and destroying it. It's kind of like that question, when did you stop beating your wife? How do you, how do you answer that? You can't, and neither could they. Neither could they. Now, do you know what happened then? Nothing. <laughs> Not a peep. No sound, but crickets. They couldn't do anything. 
then Jesus spotted the man again and defying their lack of compassion Jesus said stretch out your your hand that atrophied hand and right before their eyes Jesus healed him healed his hand and the Pharisees said yay oh Jesus praise God no they were outraged they were totally twisted up inside they were literally outraged and it says what but they were filled with fury verse 11 and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus by the way here's the other comment made by Matthew this is Luke's gospel we're in but Matthew shines a little more light on that but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him they weren't just wanting Jesus to move on set up shop somewhere else and just let them have their no this, this is life and death. Somebody's going down, either him or us. And they began to plot in their evil. Finally, the choice, verses 12 through 16. No doubt a number of us have pulled uh, all-nighters at some point in college or graduate school. Uh, and most likely, that all-nighter was due to poor planning and or procrastination or both. I'd have to raise my hand on that one on my all-nighter. Uh, but Luke tells us that Jesus was on an all-nighter, but it was an all-nighter of prayer and planning for something that was going to literally shake up the world. He was going through the night in prayer to God. So Jesus' all-nighter had a careful and prayerful purpose behind it. He was about to choose his core of God's renewed Israel. Do you know that's why, there's tw why he chose 12? Because that echoes the 12 tribes of Israel. They, Israel was put where it was in the Old Testament to be a light ultimately to the Gentiles. To be a blessing was the intent. But its light had gone out in so many ways. And you got these kind of religious leaders calling the shots. Jesus was picking, throwing out the old and picking a new Jerusalem group. A new 
12 that would be his inner circle here on earth while he remained and would become apostles to continue the work after Jesus had returned to the Father. Now, by, what, by the way, uh, as I said, it, it, uh, the 12 intentionally mirrored the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, listen, listen to this uh, uh, text from Luke 22, 8, 28 through 30. And you are those, you are those who have stayed with me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples before he returned to the Father. You have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. My new boys are going to be the ones that are going to judge the old. I'm breaking the mold. I'm coming in with my kingdom, the new wine of the kingdom of God. And as we've already seen, this group was not made up of men whose backgrounds and training would make them obvious candidates for much of anything. They were a bunch of farmers and fishermen. They were poor class. Listen to what Kent Hughes has to say. He says, all except Judas Iscariot were Galileans. Did you know that? All of them were Galileans except for Judas. Country boys. Four were fishermen. One was a hated tax gatherer. No one of them was famous or rich or noble or well-connected. Not one of them was a scribe or a priest or an elder or a ruler of the people. They were, as their detractors labeled them, unschooled, ordinary men. This ordinary croup of 12 Galilean men. That's what Jesus is going to reshape the world with. Answers yes. But here's an encouraging fact to me and you. Because we're in that train. We're in that connection. We're downstream of that. But we come from that same line. And that also means, and this is what's a most encouraging thought. Jesus didn't use the best and the brightest to bring his kingdom he used ordinary people like me and like you. He didn't use all of the brightest and best. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 about the ways of the Lord and how upside down they seem but it's quite the contrary. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For 
Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish, what is foolish in the world, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. Nobody's. Nothing's. To bring to nothing things that are so that, here's the intent, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. No human being may boast in the presence of God. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, how you took that ragtag group fishermen and nobodies. Lord, you're expanding your kingdom even to this day and you will not stop until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Father, we thank you that now we are downstream and get to join in that chorus and that multitude which no man can number of what you were doing and bringing your children home, fulfilling your covenant promises. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this, and knowing that we don't have to be extraordinary. We don't have to have a lot to be used by you. If you could use them, Lord, you can use us. And Lord, do so to your glory, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.